now, sport. Um, no, Tim, we, we have in fact finished sport in, in the first half, in practice. But what about in practice my golfing routine? <laughs> um, no, Tim, we've we, we finished with it, sport. And so, uh, push, push off. off. Yes. <laughs> and now, after that, I'd like to say a nice word about the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. Unfortunately, I couldn't think of one. So here they are. Look out! The lever! Get away from that lever! You'll blow us all to atoms! All right, welcome everyone to another episode of That Record Got Me. Hi, this is Rob Elba here. I am in Seattle recording my uh, episodes in Seattle. Have have yet to actually get someone. I, I think I have some people lined up that I'm going to do in person here in Seattle. But now I'm talking to someone in New York. Now, Ira, I'm assuming you're in New York, right? Yes, I am. You are. All right. So uh, without further ado, I'm really excited to welcome the show, Mr. Ira Robbins. Welcome to the show, Ira. Thank you, Rob. Glad to be here. Yeah, we know you as the co-founder and co-editor of Trouser Press, the alternative music magazine. Uh, existed for 10 years from 74 to 84, but now it, it's awesome. It lives online at trouserpress.com, right? And uh, it, I just can't even imagine that must the, the amount of work involved in getting that and getting the uh, Trouser Press record guides, getting all that uh, online. Um, getting it online wasn't nearly as hard as getting it written in the first place. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, the, the, the sites had a, a, a several different iterations. Um, you know, when, when the last record guide that was published in, in book form was in the mid nineties and it left out the previous four had kind of built on each other. So like they just kept getting, you know, uh, added to, and they just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And so the, the choice when I got to do the fifth one was um, there was no way to, to just keep adding to it. And it seemed kind of ridiculous to ask people to keep buying new editions of a book that was like 40, 50, 60% stuff they already had. Right. So the 90s book was a completely brand new book. That meant that people buying that one for the first time would have no access to the stuff that preceded it. So the idea at that point was to put it all online uh, for free so that anybody who had bought the, the 90s book had a con, had sort of a continuity back to the 70s and 80s portion of the coverage of the same bands. So like a band that had been around for 20 or 30 years, in the 90s book, we reviewed whatever two or three albums they made in the 90s, and then you had to go online to read everything they did in the 70s and 80s. And that was just a matter of like taking a bunch of files and you know throwing them up on a website and formatting them. It was a pain in the ass, but it wasn't like horrible. Right. Um, and then um, after that, we, we started, you know, kind of adding to it. And, you know, I got writers and people were contributing to the site and writing new reviews and adding, updating old ones and stuff. Um, and we did that for a while and did pretty good uh, until it kind of got away from me. Right. And, you know, it, it just became like impossible. You know, you, uh, there was just no way to have like, you know, two or 3,000 entries, you know, kept up to date. I mean, we're not all music guys. It's just yeah. a couple of friends. And so um, I just kind of let it sit. So the site went through a couple of iterations. I say at one time it was um, licensed through MTV because they had bought the, the small site that I had licensed it to in the first place. And then I rebuilt it with a, a friend. Uh, he put up a new site and that one kind of was fine for a while. And then the technology kind of got away from us and pieces started to break off and it wasn't working. And so I got somebody else to build a new one. And that one launched a couple of years ago and it's really beautiful and I like it, but it's not very up to date. Um, you know, we've been publishing articles and, you know, publishing um, the entire scanned collection of Trouser Press magazines, which I think was a just coincidentally I had been working on just sort of for my own benefit. And also we we're supposed to do on Facebook, but this gave me a chance to put them all together in one place. And that seems to be the thing people like most. Yeah. I mean, it's just I mean, I'm going to I'm going to blow some smoke up your ass just a little bit. And then I promise I'm not <laughs> going to do it anymore. But Trouser Press was a big deal for me when I, when I was young. You know, I, I, I in, in reading your book now, your, so your latest book out is Music in a Word. And there's a lot of um, articles that you had in there and, and other things and just stories about Trouser Press. And it just brings me back 
because you know it's it it's hard. I mean, obviously, most people that listen to the show are are close to our age, so they're older people. But younger people, uh, you know, I don't know, could appreciate the fact that you had to learn about music. You you you'd you'd read about it, you would read a review, but you couldn't just jump on YouTube and see what it sounds like or listen to it. That's what you had to go by, you know. And you would buy right. records and you would discover bands by reading reading about them. And uh, I just discovered so much new music, and uh, I just you know. It, it was a big part of my life. <laughs> so uh, that's great. I mean, I mean, we, we thought we were doing something valuable, you know, we didn't know how many people agreed with us, but you know, cause it was never a huge enterprise and we never made any money, but of you know, we kept it going for 10 years. <laughs> yeah. We kept it going for 10 years. And um, you know, I, I mean, the amazing experience I've had, which I write about in music and a word a bit is that, you know, since Travis ended in 1984, you know, a hundred times as many people have, you know, told me what it meant to them as could possibly have done while the magazine was in existence. Right. <laughs> right. So right. It's, it's, it, it's like an annuity. It's, it's like an emotional annuity for me. You know, oh, that's constantly great. I saying, like that. Oh my God. I read Trouser Press as a kid, you know, or, you know, and, and we're on, you know, it's, it's online and, you know, I get, I'm on Facebook and, you know, I see, you know, people comment on it all the time and, you know, I'm pretty good about like pulling stuff out of the, uh, out of the archive. If so, you know, somebody dies, I'll find an article, an interview we did with them or something like that. Or if there's a, you know, a new album by somebody that's been around for a while, you know, oh, I'll just right, post right. something, you know, so it's just kind of like, you know, I mean, we're obviously, we weren't the only magazine. I mean, there are plenty of others, you know, I mean, we weren't the biggest and we weren't the best necessarily, but, um, you know, I, I, I guess I've, I've maintained more continuity uh, than others. I mean, like, you know, cream is kind of back with a documentary and a website and stuff, but right, right. you know, there, there, there was many years when cream had no real existence, you know, and nobody really stood up, stepped up to claim, you know, the mantle of cream. I mean, Lester was gone and Dave Marsh had moved on, you know, and you right. know, Helsky, you know, is kind of like the only person who sort of, Charlie Oranger, the photographer, a couple of people kept, kept Cream's name alive for a while. But, you know, I mean, it feels like Trouser Press has kind of been, been a steady presence for, you know, almost 50 years now. So Yeah, and and that was the other big one. Cream and Trouser Press were the were the big ones for me, for sure. And they're just, what one band in particular that I know I, I would not have known about and I discovered through Trouser Press, which became one of my favorite bands, was Mission of Burma. Because I just remember <laughs> reading, you championed them at one time, and I'm saying, who's this band? You know, I'd never, obviously, I was... Uh, I was already living in Florida, in South Florida, and there was no way I just would have known about them. And uh, yeah, they became obviously you know, became one of my favorite bands, and that's something that always stuck with me. It's like, I got that from Charles Price. I listened to your podcast with Roger Miller recently. That was really good. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and that's great. That's a great thing. Now I get to talk to people that uh, you know that uh, that I admire and I grew up with, and you are one of them. So you brought a record that. Uh, I'll just say I've I, I've heard of, of this band and obviously a, a lot of people have uh, maybe have heard of them, but it, this is just wacko to me, bonkers, because I did not honestly I didn't know really anything about it and I've never really listened to it before. But what is the record you brought to talk about? Uh, Bonzo Dog Band's first second album, which in England was called The Donut and The Donut and Granny's Greenhouse, and in America was renamed Urban Spaceman after their one British hit, which was slapped on the American edition. <laughs> right. Bonzo. All right. Now, so right off the bat, I'm going to ask you because sometimes I see it as Bonzo Dog Band, but then sometimes I see Bonzo Dog Doodah. Bonzo Doodah. Yes. They. <laughs> They build a couple of albums. It's the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band, and then a couple, of, and then they drop the Doodah part. The Bonzo, a little background. The Bonzo Dog um, was not a fictitious creation. I mean, it, it was a fictitious creation, but it wasn't their fictitious creation. The Bonzo Dog was a cartoon character created by a guy called George Study, S D U D D Y. He's a British cartoonist uh, in the 20s and 30s, and it was a very popular character. Um, kind of like if you could sort of imagine Mickey Mouse. But British, not not, you know, in, in that level of of, of uh, circulation. I mean, okay. Uh, the Bonzo the Bonzo Dog was this very surly, somewhat alcoholic, kind of mean spirited <laughs> British bulldog with one big black eye. Kind of looked like um, oh, there's some American dog that looks like Petey, like Petey yeah, from Petey, the Little right. Rascals, yeah. Right, but a little, but much, kind of a little grungier. Right. Um, and uh, and the Bonzo Dog was featured on postcards. Um, plates, um, <laughs> okay. um, toy, toys, board games. Um, I mean, I have a huge collection of Bonzo dog paraphernalia, uh, ashtrays, uh, salt and pepper shakers are the commonest thing. You'll see them all over the place. That, and, and the Bonzo dog uh, 
became like this sort of just very popular British character and then kind of faded out. You know, I mean, just sort of times changed, long time passed. And, and for some reason, the Bonzo Dog Band adopted that as their name. Um, and if you, the, the, the band's last last real album, which was called Let's Make Up and Be Friendly, has a, has a, a picture, has, has a George Study drawing of the Bonzo Dog on the cover. Okay. And as, all right, so basically, they're, I mean, they're billed as a, a comedy uh, rock group. And uh, I mean, the comparisons I thought of immediately, I thought of the Ruddles uh, and, and the uh, Frogs. So I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the Frogs, right? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, I mean, I, w- I would stop you there because I, I know that they're funny, but I, I think to characterize them as a comedy group is to only um, reflect one small part of what they were. Okay, um, okay. And, and the Ruddles, the Ruddles came out of the Bonzos. I mean, Neil Innes of the Bonzos was the songwriter and was Ron Nasty in the Ruddles. Oh, um, oh okay. Well, uh, wow. I did not, I mean, I did some research and everything, but I did not connect those dots actually, but that, right. that, that makes sense. director for all of the Pythons films. The Pythons and the Bonzos were very close. Um, there's all sorts of overlap and connections. Right. I saw uh, they, they did have a connection. And oh, okay. So I guess, so maybe more like um, Frank Zappa type thing where Frank Zappa had comedy elements in his music, but it was an actual band. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, but, but the difference being that the Bonzos um, were enormously anarchic. I mean, the, the main, the main character, the Bonzos had a bunch of main characters, but the two lead significant figures were Vivian Stanchel and Neil Innes. Neil Innes was a fairly traditional pop musician. Um, he's a great songwriter. He died, the last, he died last year. Um, great songwriter, um, very Beatles-esque in his thinking, but very charming in his humor. I mean, all the songs have kind of a little twist to them or a little kind of funny note. I mean, his first solo album was called How Sweet to Be an Idiot. Um, <laughs> And, and Neil, Neil had, a, had a, a trademark for a while of wearing a, a duck on his head, a plastic duck. Right. Um, so, I mean, you know, it was very silly. Um, Viv, however, was a enormously gifted, creative kind of um, uh, anything goes kind of character. Played dozens of instruments, wrote plays, sang, wrote books. I mean, just kind of could do anything. Right. But he was also completely out of his mind and for much of his life. For much of his, I mean, I mean, certifiably, you know, disturbed in certain ways, and for much of his life, he was a complete fall-down alcoholic. Oh, okay. I mean, and, yeah. So, so the the one question that I that I gotta ask you though is, how does a kid in New York come upon? Like, how did you do you discover this band? This record came out in 1968, and. Um, Obviously, you're obviously you're into because uh, the original Trouser Press. You were, you know, based, you were an Anglophile. You were into British music, but how did this come? How did this come to you? Well, I mean, indirectly, because my best friend Dave Schultz turned me on to the Bonzos. Right. I actually um, did. I actually did. I asked that for the for the listeners, but I did read that in your book that that's why. Yeah. yeah as I'm reading it, I'm going, oh, OK, this is why he brought this record. Yeah, I probably I probably should have asked Dave before coming on your show whether how he came upon it. But I mean, I'm sure there's some connection. I mean, we, you know, in those days we were, you know, omnivorous. I mean, we would just like follow trails wherever they led with bands you know right. i mean we we subscribed to the melody maker um you know the british weekly and read about everything that they had dave and i as i write about my book also i have no stories left to tell because i put them all in my book right um, <laughs> dave and i spent enormous amounts of time at the mid at the lincoln center library in new york reading microfilm of melody maker going back to the 50s 
and writing down the names of every musician we came across, what instrument they played and what bands they were in. I know what. that I read that. I saw that. And that is like crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, we were the first that I know of to ever, to ever do that. I mean, you know, eventually um, a book called volume came out and had kind of the same thing. And there was another one that was published um, called rock record. I think it was called, but I mean, but we were doing this before, before we knew anybody else was doing it. So right. we, we were totally on our own. Um, it was just Dave's idea to do like to kind of try to understand the history of British rock by developing it, you know, our own documentation of it. Right. And so, so we found a lot of bands in, in, in the melody maker that just sounded intriguing. I mean, you know, you know we had to hear who, who the groundhogs were. Thin Lizzy really sounding like and stuff. And, you know, very you know, none of this stuff was getting played on American radio, of course. Right. Um, although, although Scott Muni on WNEWFM had a Friday afternoon show called The English Hour, in which he would just play imports. Oh, nice. Um, um, but Dave and I just kind of um, we were curious, and I mean, the stores in New York, there were sixty, there were a lot of cutout bins in in the record shops. You know, stuff stuff that had been you know released and flopped. And we're selling for a dollar, you know, and we, we would just buy anything that had a, an interesting cover. Right. And, and and then we would try to learn about, it, you know, and, and as, as you know, I mean, there was no resources for learning about this stuff. Um, so we were kind of like matching up what we read in the British papers. And we also subscribed to magazines like Zigzag, which is a British monthly, um, and Let It Rock, um, you know, and and, and we, read, so we read the fanzines, you know, like um, Al, Alan Bettrock had a magazine called The Rock Marketplace and Greg Shaw had Bump. You know, and they were all like, you know, geeky, you know, train spotter magazines that did like in-depth in articles on bands no one in America knew, um, by and large. Um, and so we just sort of followed our noses to a lot of stuff. And I, I'm, I'm, I don't remember how Dave came upon the Bonzos, but he played it for me. And, you know, it perfectly tickled our <laughs> collective sense of who we were. Right. You know, well, the idea... Well, uh how old were you at, at the time when you first listened? Do, do, could you give me an idea? Uh, I probably, I was probably 15. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was thinking because there's tons of like clever little innuendos and inside uh, a pop culture jokes and references. And that's like catnip for like a smart, that would be for like a smart young teenager that's into like Monty Python and things like that. And, you know, eventually would grow up to be a cynical, you know, whatever person, <laughs> but right. I, so I, I could see that. I could really see that. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I mean, 1969 was a big year for me because for a couple of reasons, you know, I mean, I'd grown up reading mad magazines. So right, that was like right. my introduction to irony and sarcasm. And, 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 and right. Wit. Like, yeah, the things that, that were you know, witty. Some anti establishment humor. I right, mean, you know, right, right, I mean, right. You know, if you turned on Ed Sullivan, you saw Cody Fields telling fat jokes. But you read Mad Magazine, you know, and they were making fun of like President Johnson, you know, so it was a completely different world. Right. Um, you know, and and so Mad Magazine kind of led me into, you know, kind of a, a, a state of mind about, you know, and I was politically involved. I was very active in the, the new left. And so. You know, around that time. So, you know, a lot of my mindset was, you know, questioning things, doubting, you know, the, the, the party line um, and looking, trying to looking, trying to try to look beneath the surface of things. Right. Um, and also having kind of a dark sense of humor and really looking to be entertained. And when we hit the Bonzos, you know, we didn't understand 90% of it. I mean, the, you know, the, the degree of British humor that the Bonzos, you know, embraced you know, they, they, they made no effort whatsoever to be popular. Right, and, right, right. And 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 they were very much an in-joke, even among themselves. So, I mean, there's stuff that, that like, is on these records that to this day, I don't know what it's what they're talking you don't about. Know, you know? But, but yeah, you, you could tell, but you know there's something going on behind behind everything. And uh, and apart from all that, the musicianship is, like, really great, too. <laughs> these right. guys were all, like, yeah. really good players. 
in a way. I mean, some of them were, not all of them. I mean, the, <laughs> well, the, the other the other thing that, that was odd about the Bonzos was that they were, some of them were deeply curious about sort of the British Tin Pan Alley music of the 20s and 30s. Um, oh, yeah. You, about, yeah, you could hear that a lot in here. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and a lot of the songs that they recorded, especially in their um, first and third album, were covers that are so weird. The songs are so bizarre that, like, <laughs> it's hard to believe. I mean, I always assumed that they were Bonzo's songs, originals. And then an album came out called Songs the Bonzos Taught Us, which was a collection of the originals that the Bonzos had covered. Oh, okay. um, You know, that, that's been done for a few artists over the years, you know, where, where like, the source material, you know, I, I know there's one of, like, um, I, think, I, think the, I think Mojo Magazine put out, like, the Sex Pistols, a, a Who collection of, like, yes, songs yes. that Who covered. It's, right, yeah. right. And, and so, so, I mean, but, like, like, Bonzos covered songs like Ali Baba's Camel and Hunting Tigers Out in India and Nikki's Son and Daughter and My Brother Does the, does the, the, the Noises for the Talkies. You know, all of which sounded like, you know, smug, smart Oxford graduates in 1968 having a laugh. You know, there was a song, in the, a, a British hit in the 60s called Winchester Cathedral, you know, which was sort of a, a Rudy Valley Vodio Doe uh, imitation, but it was a brand new original song done by a studio band. But it was like, you know, kind of like, wah, 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 right. Winchester Cathedral. <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, um, and the bosses were doing this stuff, but they, they were finding these records in like, you know, used shops and buying them for like 10p and learning the songs because they didn't have a repertoire when they started out. So, right, right. you know, they were a very um, fluid group. They had lots of different members. Um, and they changed all the time, and they also changed instruments. If you look at the credits on, yeah, on this yeah, album, all, all different yeah. kinds of horns, and in one song, like three, three of them are playing a saxophone on it. And yeah, like right. uh, like you said, some are more uh, proficient. You could tell at some instruments than other, but I just get the feeling that they. Uh, Whatever they're they're doing, they're they're getting the sound that they want to get. And if it's something that's if there's any clams or something quirky, that they're doing it uh, on purpose. Uh, oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's some stuff. There's some stuff that they do. Like, I mean, there's a version on a re another album of um, "I Left My Heart in San Francisco," and like they basically Viv sings like one or two lines of it, and then it just devolves into this screeching, honking sax noise. Right. Of like every, <laughs> I don't know if you ever, have you ever, have you ever heard the album, Ports, by Ports, the first album by Portsmouth Symphonia? Uh, no. Uh, it was a local, it was a local English orchestra that Kino discovered of people who had never played an instrument before. Oh, Jesus. And, <laughs> and they got them together and they recorded an album, on an island in the mid seventies. It's called, I forget what it's called. It's the Portsmouth Sinfo Sinfonia, S-I-N-F-O-N-I-A, in Portsmouth, which is in England. And and they do like thus put spake Zarathustra, and it literally goes da 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 and the, the bonzos were were, were uh, uh, amenable to such ideas. Right, 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 right. All right, so let's get uh, let's get. So uh, you guys had the American version of the re record. Just before I play the first song, uh, one thing I saw I saw online. They said the instruction, like in the uh, on the record, it said the uh, the noises of your bodies are part of this record. Is that something that was in there? Do I mean, that a fifteen-year-old would would love to read that. Yeah, I mean, the Bonzo's first album was called Gorilla, and, and it's dedicated to Khan, who must have been a good bloke. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, you know, clearly right, right. the whole, you know, what what flows through all of this stuff was like this, you know, a commitment to like Dada art, right, right, um, right. Uh, surrealism, um, absurdism, irony, sarcasm, wit, um, you know, but but also like really competent rock in a dozen different forms. But but every I mean the, the, the Bonzos were very much my um, gateway to Dada art, and I became like you know interested in Marcel Duchamp and you know the the, the Kiriko and Man Ray, um, and it all kind of flows together because you know the same sort of rejection of normalcy as well as rejection of logic, you know. So like a lot of the stuff that they do is just kind of it feels kind of random. Oh, it but, feels crazy, like uh, batshit right. crazy. Some of it, <laughs> right? But, but when you're when you're 15 years old and you and your best friend have like you know wrapped your arms around something, it becomes part of your language. And I mean, Dave and I to this day will quote lines from Bonzo songs together. And right. coincidentally, and I'll, let's just get off the topic for like 30 seconds. The same year that, that we discovered the Bonzos, we discovered the movie Putney Swope. 
by Robert Downey Sr. Oh, okay. Who, di- who died this month. This month, right. and I was actually at his, his memorial service last night, um, and that had the same impact on us. It was the same sort of like a, a, an object that we grabbed onto that, that told us everything we need to know and became enormously part of our lives to the point where, I mean, Dave and I can literally go into a theater and recite every line of dialogue as the movie's playing right. <laughs> with, without a cue. Right. Well, hopefully I'm not uh, sitting anywhere near you guys when you're doing that in the theater. Uh, That sounds really annoying. But all right. So let's get into this. So the U.S. version had this song, like you said, they tacked on, which is which is a really great opener. I think it's it's a much better opener than uh, than the other one that did the British one, because it's there. It's a catchy. It's a super catchy song. Uh, yeah, I mean, but, but but it blows the it blows the the entree into the album because oh, the yeah, album kind of right. st- starts with these weird noises oh, and it God, starts off so with this gurgling sound and a slow kind of like tape slow down, then it suddenly speeds up. Yes, and you know anyway, so yeah, the, the British album is, 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 has a different feel, but the Americans they they had had a hit single which coincidentally was produced by Paul McCartney. I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, Urban Spaceman's a Neil Innes song, and it's very straight, you know, very, very much a pop song. And it was the only song they ever did, with maybe one or two other exceptions, that sort of could qualify as like a chart record in England. And English char- English charts were pretty weird, weird in 1968. Oh so, right, you know. yeah. Well, it's re- I saw this reach uh, number five on the UK charts, and I mean, I can't mm-hmm. see it uh, happening in the US, like you know, being a number five. No, song. no. Urban Spaceman was not for America. No, not. All right, let's listen to it. Uh, I'm the Urban Spaceman. <laughs> Nice little uh, jaunty tune there. Yeah, Neil Innes wrote it somewhat inspired by urban redevelopment in Manchester. And his his logic was that while they were creating urban space as part of like a reclamation project of the city, he figured if there was urban space, there should be an urban space man. Oh, okay. That was okay. And and the Bonza uh, Viv was very good friends with with, with the Beatles. Um, they all palled around. They're in the Bonzas are actually in the Magical Mystery Tour movie. Um, and uh Paul, they, they they got Paul to produce Urban Spaceman, and you know he he didn't want to take any credit for it. He so he he did the. I'm sure you know what the pseudonym was that he was under. Apollo C. Vermouth. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a W.C. Fields character. That's great. Um, That's and, awesome. and he plays ukulele on the track. Oh, okay, nice, nice. I didn't know that, and I like it. It's it's like a it, yeah, it's like a cute little song, but I like it. Right at the end, it has that stinger because he says, "I'm the Urban Spaceman, baby. Here comes the twist. I don't exist." <laughs> Which is great. Yeah, it was it was never really a Bonzo song, but it was a Neil song, and he played it as, as a solo artist for many years. But oh, I don't okay. think the Bonzo. Right. So now we get the pr- proper first song, which, yeah, like you said, it uh, definitely starts with uh, st- crazy. Like if you're getting a, a record and this is the first song on it, you know, you're in for something, you know. So, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we are normal and we want our freedom. The title comes from um, uh, Marat Saad, the play. Um, and it was weirdly also used by the band Love in America, that same line. I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> which, yes. which really freaks me out and I actually I didn't know that because I'm not really much of a fan of love but I was going back and forth on Facebook with the guy who's the guitar player in love oh wow who's a very active active poster and and he's somebody quoted it the line I said that's a Bonzo song he goes no it's a love song I'm like, no it's not it's a Bonzo song and he would like slap me down because I like you know and they did it around the same time I think but it was unrelated it wasn't one taking it from the other they both got it from Murat Saad Oh, okay. Okay. All right. So let's listen to just a little bit of We Are Normal. (laughs) 
Oh yeah, well there's and, a lot there's a lot of really clever ways that they rhyme. They'll they'll fit words on this record to rhyme and it's really it's really great. Right. Wait, wait wait till yeah, wait till we get the white hippocrite. Yes. <laughs> the um you know that that guitar figure, the, the those four chords, the da 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 kind of familiar if you listen to Tommy a year later. Oh, okay. What you know, I was trying to figure out uh what that's from. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like amazing journey. Oh, uh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, well you you know, it, it because it's at the same time I hear you hear bits of uh you hear uh bits of the Hua time and also the uh Kinks. Uh you know, the Kinks mm-hmm. where, where they made play sure. it a little straighter, but you d- definitely hear that in there, especially the British when they when they do the uh you know, the um a proper uh British people. Uh-huh. Sure. Well, it, well, Viv, Viv had a whole sideline as a, a voiceover artist, and uh, uh, he could do this unbelievable proper British, you know, upper class twit accent. Right. Really amazing. <laughs> Coming up too fast with the uh, all yeah. the spoken, all the spoken parts on the record are Vivian. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, all right. So now we get uh, what? We get a, a postcard. Someone setting a postcard from a seaside resort, right? Yeah, it's just kind of like a really snide kind of attack on like you know, dull English plainness. People who are having these really boring times. Yes. After lunch, we, after lunch, we all grabbed our trunks. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, right. it's really, I mean, it, you know, all this stuff really overlaps conceptually with a lot of stuff that the Pythons also did. You know right. I mean? It's kind of, I mean, you, you can totally see like a Python sketch being made exactly out of this same set of ideas. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Let's listen to a little bit of Postcard. Yeah, you, I mean, you could almost describe some of these songs as uh, schizophrenic in a way, you know, because they well, just... Well, that, that, that's one where, like, I think Neil Innes wrote the music and then Viv did all the, the rambly uh, spieling. Right. I hope I get bronzed this year. I love that line. <laughs> all right. So now uh, now we get a, a, a tale old, as old as time, a beautiful girl from outer space, toys with, a, with the heart of a simple earth boy, right? So uh, yeah. there's there's a lot of little outer space uh, things and uh, interplanetary themes that come up on these. Yeah, I, I guess that was kind of a popular idea in those days, but I'm not sure why, particularly on this record, they crop up. But um, I, 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 who knows? I mean, yeah. you know, it's funny. Uh, that, that particular song reminded me of, um, it, many years later, of John Cooper Clark's I Married a Monster from Outer Space. Yeah. 
Oh, okay, okay, right. Same idea, sort of like, you know, an average local, you know, in England, who suddenly is, is like connected to a beautiful woman from you know, Mars. Right. It's very, very odd kind of conceit that, that they have, have happened more than once in song. It is, it is. But it's also catchy as a song. It's a super catchy song, too. Oh, yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> Let's listen to Beautiful Zelda. Superheroes of the galaxy So why does she want to mess around with me? Listen to my story It's sad but it's true Please don't laugh It could happen to you This episode of That Record Got Me High podcast is brought to you by our patrons at Patreon. What is Patreon? Well, I've only been telling you about it for the past three years, but Patreon is a platform that allows you to support artists and creators that you love. How do you become a patron? Well, I also mentioned this too. You go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH or just go to patreon.com and search for That Record Got Me High podcast and become a patron of the show. It's fun. It's, well, I don't know how fun it is, really, but uh, it really helps out, and we appreciate you, and we have special patron-curated episodes, and we send out newsletters, and uh, it is fun. Let's, I'm just going to go on record as saying it's kind of fun. Go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH and become a patron today. All right, and now we get a joke, obviously just a, a a joke concept, but I like this this next one. What I like is that they're playing some pretty convincing like blues, but they're obviously <laughs> making fun. They're poking fun of, you know, uh, white blues, really. Yeah, I mean, you know, England, 1968, was, you know, pretty heavily entrenched in, you know, in, in the blues world. I mean, Cream was really big. Um, there, were, there were hundreds of blues bands. I mean, you know, suddenly... You know, after John Mayall and and Cream and the Yardbirds, everybody wanted to play the blues in England, and you know, it it, it had a, a direct followable form. You know, and it had a you know a, a repertoire that you could learn. You know, so there were a lot of bands doing it, and I think you know the Bonzos were about as far from a blues band as you could possibly be. I mean, they were much right. more they were much more inclined to being like a you know a '30s dance orchestra, you know, or a jazz band right, than right, you know, right. a blues band. So, you know, uh, guitar was never really their main instrument either. So, you know, this was just kind of like a taking the piss kind of thing about, you know, making fun of people who, who play the blues. But also, you know, it's funny because, you know, the, the, the title, you know, can, can, can Blue Men Sing the Whites is clearly turning around the idea of, you know, how legitimate is it for white Englishmen to play the blues? Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, it, you could also hear it as kind of like a fighting back against people who think that you have to be black to play the blues. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Although that's not really that's not really what the song says. It's just what the what the title implies. Right. All right. So let's listen to a little bit of Cam Blue Man. And it does have the and it has the greatest the greatest rhyme of like it does. Sings the whites or are they hypocrites? That's so great. All right, Cam Blue Men sing the whites. I have a sip of coffee while I'm taking it. 
Yeah, it's great, and it's really fun. I love uh, when he comes in a little later on, he said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to do do you a little number now that's been very lucky for us during the Depression when everybody was very uh, depressed. Right. <laughs> and, then he, and then he sings this Oh Lordy and the Cottonfield song, and it's just obviously, yes, they're playing up the, uh, you know, should should white white guys be be doing things like this? So uh, it it it's really great. I, I I was wondering if there was any band in particular that they're skewering here, or if it's just a. I don't know. I mean, I mean, right now, you know, Eric Clapton's kind of in the in, in the crosshairs. So yes, maybe, he maybe is. Oh my god. <laughs> maybe maybe it was Eric Clapton. Right. Know. But well, I, you know. Anybody. Were you aware of that? Just, just side going side note to Eric Clapton, uh, that you know because I, you know, uh, now he's been doing some questionable things, some shitty things. But I guess way back in the day, he there was this uh, at some show. He said some really shitty stuff. Were you aware of that? Oh or? yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. No, he he he's humiliated himself on more than one occasion. No, he. Uh, I mean, this is a you know, there's a very interesting sort of hypocrisy in this. I mean, in the same way that the skinheads in the early 60s, you know, were racists who beat up black kids, but only listened to, to, to reggae. Right. You know, that right, was the right. only music, the blue beat and reggae. Um, so like, you know, like they liked the music, but they couldn't stand the people. Right. Um, I mean, Cla- <laughs> Clapton, who's, who, who's devoted his entire life basically to, you know, the, 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 the memorial, memorializing Robert Johnson and Muddy Waters and a few other American african-americans you know got up drunk at a at a show once and started cursing out wogs which is right. british slang for people of color oh my um God. and and like went on and on and on and like you know, apparently it was like you know, sort of this uh, enoch powell you know get the blacks out of out of england kind of thing um and uh, this was like in the 70s right you know? right so, like, i mean like and, and he lived it down finally you know like years later but then he's, he's done a couple more really objectionable things and now he's like an anti-vaxxer yeah, yeah. So I think maybe he's oh, just yeah. a, a, an asshole. Maybe we can call it that he's just kind of an asshole. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> it happens, <laughs> right? Um, well, you know, you know, what are the problems? And again, not to get too far off the subject, but you know, I mean, people are getting to be old. You know, I mean, like, you know, the same way that your grandfather was probably pretty crotchety and right wing when he was like seventy five years yes. old, and a lot of the, the rock stars that you know we grew up on when they were twenty and thirty are now like you know, really elderly. And, you know, they're, they're probably suffering from the same. Yeah. Grandpa, you know, grandpa prod- always says shit that he shouldn't say. Yeah. Right. Right. It's bad grandpa. That, that's what we're living in. You know, like I'm, I'm surprised Mick Chagger hasn't done anything stupid. Right. I mean, right. I mean, impregnate variety of women. Oh God. That's, that's great. All right. So now we got Vivian, uh, I guess this is Vivian Stanchall uh, channeling a, a, uh, like a crooner, like a British crooner here. Yeah, um, I mean it's it's a Neil Innes song, but definitely it's an original that sounds like one of their '30s covers. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, all right. Let's listen to "Hello, Mabel." <laughs> at the beginning like you said doing that really great uh british uh, proper british plummy accent yes yeah, vivian was vivian was as much an actor a theatrical character as he was a musician um he staged plays and things like that he and his wife had a had a a a, a, a boat on which they had theater um for a long time and, oh, wow. and then it sank and then it sank um but um <laughs> he, he um you know he obviously doesn't miss any opportunity to like do some some voiceover stuff in this record 
Um, I mean, he, he became a radio host, he, and he did a whole like um, he did a, he wrote a film called Sir Henry at Wallinson End, which is basically a collection of his stories about this fictional sort of old aristocrat who's a great who's completely out of his mind. Right. But as, as, I don't know if you I don't know if you heard it in, the, in that song, but he opens a bottle and pours a drink. Yes, yeah, right. <laughs> Very audibly. Yes. <laughs> It's great. It's almost at times it's almost like uh, and I'm sure I did the same thing. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you did the same thing uh, listening aside from music records, uh, comedy records. We would get comedy records and, and listen to them over and over. I remember Monty Python. I had a, a, a uh-huh. bunch of Monty Python records and it's almost like that. Like there's little like you said, some of the songs you could picture as being like skits. Yeah. Like Monty Python skits. All right. So this uh, now this next one here is just a little quick little thing. But I'm wondering you as a 15 year old, did you know anything? about the Kama Sutra or is this like the first time you ever heard of it? No, we, we, we were, we were like, we were wise in the ways of oh, the you, world. Yeah. You, you were from we were, New York. You were in New York. Yeah. We were, we were snotty New York kids. I was in a good high school. We, we knew stuff. Oh, okay. I mean, okay. <laughs> you know, I, was, I was years away from practicing any of it, but I, I, I was aware of it. I mean, right. yeah, Kama Sutra was, was, you know, I mean, the sixties being the time that they were, um, you know, there's a lot of countercultural curiosity, especially in like Eastern religions and things like that. And so, you know, you knew about Khalil Gibran and, and you know, Lord of the Rings, or, or, you know, so it was all, all mixed up. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I'd heard of the Kama Sutra, but okay. I, 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 didn't, I didn't have a copy, so I couldn't check to see whether position 21, you know, was, right. was, was as described. Well, but it sounds like... Tw- <laughs> Sounds like 25 seconds long. I don't even know why they included it, but it's really clever. It is clever, and it's and I'm going to play a little, almost the whole song, yeah. just playing a little <laughs> bit of it, but just because it's, it's it's great. I, I love it. Let's listen to a little bit of it. So yeah, and, and Ira, just as a side note, you said it would be years before you got to practice anything. Maybe if you and your friend weren't in the library all the time making those <laughs> lists, those ridiculous lists, you know, maybe. <laughs> you may be right. You know, the funny thing about, a song, about that song, um, you kind of wonder like whether it was like more of a song that just they didn't finish or they, they you know, the rest of it was out of key or something like that. Right, or, right, right, right. Or, you know, or the, or the tape broke or something. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, who writes songs that are four lines long? Exactly. <laughs> 40 seconds all right so but we do we flip the record over and now on this one uh we get some uh, a pretty sophisticated wordplay this reminds me almost uh, like a dylan song of the way he's uh delivering it delivering all these words you know you know what it reminds me of it seems like a real prefiguring of rapture by blondie oh right you know? well i was thinking like hip-hop i'm going wow this almost sounds hip-hop like it's from for 19 uh whatever 1978. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no it, 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 it has the same kind of like surgy you know the, 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 the real momentum to the words it's kind of like rapture i mean debbie in rapture debbie just kind of doesn't really get a breath she just kind of like keeps keeps going around in circles with the right, lyrics right I mean, I mean, not repeating them but kind of like going from one line to the next um and and this one kind of does the same thing it's, it's kind of amazing isn't it it you is know? yeah it really is yeah. all right listen to a little bit of humanoid boogie hi Mad Dan Sugarman and yeah. Henrietta Holocaust. <laughs> Amazing. 
It is, and there's also there's a really sophist, kind of sophisticated bridge, like musical bridge here. With the, uh, it almost sounds like strings, but I don't see strings credited, so it could be hmm. Mellotron. Uh, Mel- yeah, Mellotron. Yeah, Mellotron. Yeah, yeah. Strings. Uh, but, yeah, I, I guess. Um, all right. So now we get the song. This is amazing. When I came upon this, like I'm, you know, you you gave me the list of songs, and I'm looking, and I'm going, wait, hold the phone. <laughs> of course, Ira, uh, you know, had to pick this. Red, this had to be the record you do. And now, is it is the song just called Trouser Press? Because I've seen it written two different ways. It's called. It, I, sometimes it. Yeah, it's just trouser press. Sometimes I've seen it with an article, but it's trouser press. Right. Okay. Uh, trouser. Yeah. So the song trouser press, and you name which original. Uh, originally, trouser press was um was what it was um transoceanic trouser press. Right. 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 But everyone knows it's mm-hmm. trouser press, and this this I definitely feel like the. Uh, the frogs i'd mentioned the frogs that have either heard this or they were you know along the same lines as something like this for sure. yeah i mean the the the, the odd sort of like home, homophobic bit of bits in it are really kind of like both extraneous and inexplicable i mean there's nothing about this song that's you know, that has any reason to have a sexual identity no yet no right got this very very fave voice but by the, 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 there was an american bonzo at the time and he does he does the you know the the the, the, the spoken word parts Oh, um, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, so th- th- this song was written by Roger Ruskin Spear, who was primarily a saxophonist in the band. Right. Um, but um, kind of an amazing character. He was a, a, an art professor in, in London um, and still is. Um, and and I met him in the summer of 74 uh, after Trousers began. I was I saw him play at the Marquee in London and asked and grabbed him afterwards and said, can you explain to me what a trouser press is? Because literally I had no idea. I right. mean, it was just a name. You know, we, we thought it was a funny name because of the pun, obviously, on press. Right. Um, and he drew me a picture of what a trouser press was, like on the back of the letter that I had. Oh, okay. uh, standing on the floor of the marquee with my pen. And um, and and uh, so I kind of like, I've researched it since, and I actually own a couple of trouser presses now. <laughs> of um, course you do. <laughs> I, I had to, yeah. You know, that thing, that, that, that's what eBay is for. Um, trouser press, right. for, for those who don't know, is a, it's like a wooden contraption with, with kind of bolts on it and boards. And you basically put your, je- your, your, your pants on it, cover it with these boards and screw it down. And it kind of sort of presses your trousers. Although I have to confess, I've never actually tried one. No, you um, haven't. You have them, but you haven't uh, implemented it. Yeah, yeah. It never struck me that I needed to actually see if it worked. Well, um, he did. But they, they they also make electric ones and things like that. But the, the one that, that and, and actually the song itself has like the sound of one of Roger's trouser presses being screwed. Oh, so okay. very, very rusty. <laughs> well, uh, they have irons now, you know, people use irons. So I think that maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, this predated, this pre- probably predated irons. Right. But they still make them. All right. Let's listen to a little bit of trouser press. One, two, three, kick. Come on, everybody. Clap your hands. Ooh, you're looking good. Are you having a good time? I sure am. Do you like soul music? No. We'll do the trouser press, baby. One, two, three. Yeah, this song is is pretty out there. I have never, however, owned a prefabricated concrete coal bunker. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I also I love in here the line "You've got me in creases too." That's that's a yeah, good one. Yeah. The line "Trouser it to me" became sort of part of our vocabulary as well. Oh, okay, okay. And you know, it, it's just kind of amazing to think that that song, you know, the, the impact that song's had on my life. I mean, you know, this is like this was fifty years ago, and. You know, today I'm writing people going, oh, yeah, trouser press, blah, 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 blah. You know, right, like, right, literally, exactly. Literally every day of my life for 50 years, this song <laughs> has had a, a role in it. Uh, that's great. Well, there there could have been worse things you could have gra- grabbed from this. So that, <laughs> that, that, that worked out pretty good for you, I think. 
All right, so now we get uh, suburban. I guess this is suburban England in the '60s. Although I'm not quite sure of the reference of uh, what what he's actually referencing in my pink cap of the drain pipe. I don't know why pink. I mean that that, that part seems arbitrary to me, but uh, it, it's about sort of neighbors, right? You know, right, and, right. and and the, the proprietariness of um, you know, like this is mine and that's yours. You know, and kind of looking over the the, the hedgerow at somebody and going like, "Ooh, I'm not like him." Exactly, you know? exactly. <laughs> and, and you know, the spoken word part in it is hysterical. You know, oh, it is. Really, it, it is. It's just loaded with fascinating detail. Yeah, yeah, it is. Like I said, there's so much to unpack here uh, in this uh, thing that that it must. I could just imagine you guys going over it again. <laughs> <laughs> over and, and over, and, and, and the whole thing's done is like a like a French boulevardier song, you know, with a, with with the, you know accordion. Right, right, you right, know? exactly, and, exactly. And, and it ends with this hysterically bad flat note that Fid holds on. Oh, on. that he holds on forever. Yes. <laughs> I'll actually, yeah, that, I'll I'll put at some point I'll I'll uh, I'll put okay. that in there as well. But let's just do a little bit of my pink cap of the drain pipe. I love, yeah, that part just kills me. <laughs> Rodney's bass saxophone solo, as promised. <laughs> the recitation on that song is by Rodney Slater, not Bib. So you know he, he he must have written it, but he gave it to somebody else to to, to recite. Right. It's it, yeah. It, it's nice though. I, I like how he does it. He definitely gives it a little uh, twist to it. Maybe not as uh, mm-hmm. maybe more um, grand. Uh, right. Rougher, like a, a, a yeah, yeah, yeah. rougher, more down to earth. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's great because they're it, it it they're they're sort of both embracing and rejecting the sort of genteel, you know, suburban uh, people that they're uh, sending up. Yeah, I mean, I mean, ha- some of their humor was very broad, but a lot of it was very subtle. You know, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't entirely clear what their perspective was so much as they were observing things with kind of a uh, a, a, a sharp eye, but not necessarily saying anything about right, it. Right, right. Just, uh, right, exactly. Observing it, right. Um, all right, so now we get, if, I, I, I hate to keep bringing up the kinks, but if this was like a kink song, this would be like a Dave Davis one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> this yeah. next one. Very, very 50s-ish. <laughs> yes, let's listen to a little bit of Rockalizer Baby. when that sax comes in yeah. <laughs> and uh we haven't mentioned uh larry i guess they what do they call him legs larry smith the drummer but he, yes the drummer, he's a yeah. really good drummer yeah yeah i mean they also had a spoons player for a long time called sam spoons oh really? of, of course and, they did <laughs> and, 
And there was an early member named with, with the spectacular name of Vernon Dudley Bohay Noel. <laughs> That's great. Just think you could have named your magazine that. <laughs> yeah, really, really. <laughs> All right, so um, Vivian, now we get Vivian Stanchill again uh, with a recitation over this little jaunty musical background. This reminded me of The uh, Gift, like sort of a more genteel uh, The Gift by uh-huh. <laughs> Velvet Underground. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's got it's got quite the cast of characters on, on this one here, for sure. Uh, it's called Rhinocratic Oats. away, Percy Rollinson seemed to spend more and more time with his Alsatian owl. His friends told him, you should get up more, Percy, or wind up looking like a dog. Ha ha. He was later arrested near a lamppost. At his trial some months later, he surprised everyone by mistaking a policeman for a postman and tearing his trousers off with his bare teeth. In his defense, he told the court, it's hard to tell the difference when they take their hats off. The last line of that, of that song is the incredible sort of like perfect encapsulation of all of it. Sometimes you just can't win. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I love that. It is great. It's actually the whole, I mean, the whole the little vignettes. There's like uh, five little vignettes that he's t- t- that he's going on about. And it's it's great. There's a lot of detail, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and, and the music is really like kind of, kind of almost, almost, you know, jazz. I mean, it's really sophisticated stuff. Yeah, right. It is. <laughs> All right. So now, and now we get to the final track. So this is a witch's Sabbath, I guess. I, I've read that. I don't really know. I mean, it's, I don't know anything about this song. It's, it's like, it's the one song on the album like has never stuck with me. Oh, it's really? It's a very odd, odd way to end a record. It's long, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, just, it doesn't really, it's, I've never connected with it. Well, it, 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 it ends, yeah, it is a little strange. I mean, it's got the song and then you, you think it's over and then it comes back. <laughs> right, right, a couple of times. Right, Yeah. right. I mean, they, they, they've ended albums in other really weird ways. There's one, there's one album that ends with um, a repeated laugh track um, that just, it's, it's, it's in a groove and it just doesn't stop. Oh, God. <laughs> it's manic laughter and it's really upsetting to listen to. <laughs> awesome. All right, but let's listen to a little bit of the album closer, 11 Mustached Daughters. Mustachioed. Mustachioed, sorry. Eleven mustachioed daughters running in a field of fat. The full moon high, the mandrake screams, please come to our sabbat. The changing children shiver round the fire, their mothers dance with strangely painted faces that smile but never laugh. Yeah, this one really is all over the place for sure. It really is. It's, it starts off like stranded in the jungle. Yeah, yeah, the, that's true. The, the vocals are mixed so low; it's like hard to actually hear what he's saying. Right, right, right. Uh, well, uh, maybe they just ran out of gas at the end. <laughs> at the end. All right, but uh, Ira, this was it was really great having you on the show. Like I said, uh, I, I uh, 
you know, you were a uh, trouser press was a big part of my uh, early life, as I'm sure a lot of people will say that. And uh, it's just I'm glad to hear that you're still doing it. Uh, like I said, music in a word is really great. You should check that out. And also, uh, I should mention that you uh, sent me a copy. Uh, I have a signed copy of Mark Boland Killed in Crash, your novel, your rock and roll novel. And I'm going to give it away to a lucky listener. So follow uh, on our social media. I'm going to see exactly how we're going to do uh, how we're going to do that. So I don't get in trouble. I know that sometimes I get in trouble when I do giveaways like you can't, Why? you know, uh, uh, well, I have a Patreon. So you can't only for a while I would do uh, giveaways just to my patrons. But it's like you couldn't you can't uh, do that because uh, it has to be uh, free. You know, no one could have to pay to win something. I don't know. You know, I see. <laughs> complicated. It, it's it's always, you know, that's the thing. Life is so complicated now, isn't it? <laughs> Isn't it? Sometimes you just can't win. So, <laughs> exactly. So, uh, what else? Do you have anything else going on? Do you want anyone else to go anywhere else? Obviously, they can go to uh, trouserpress.com and uh, and dig into there. That'll. I'll, spoiler alert: it's going to be a deep dive if you're if you go. In there. <laughs> well, uh, music in a word is available on Amazon. It's an ebook. Um, I'm preparing the second volume. It's going to be three in all. Oh, nice. The second nice. volume. Second volume will be a paperback, and it's going to focus on all the writing I've done on um, about nine artists, which is amazingly like 600 pages of it. Wow. Um, it's, it's got some exclusive uh, previously unpublished interviews and things like that. So it should be good. Um, and uh, then I have to start working on the third one. But yeah, so I've got that cooking. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Well, uh, like I said, it was great having you on. Uh, you were a great guest and you brought something. I'm sure a lot of people are, you know, maybe never dug into before. And uh, it's definitely worth digging into, especially if you're into a lot of the uh, a lot of the things I think a, a lot a lot of uh, listeners were into when we were younger. It's just it, it definitely scratches that itch, you know. Uh huh. Well, dot off for now. There you go. Uh, all right, guys. So don't forget also on Instagram and Facebook, you could follow us at at that record got me high. Also that facebook group got me high uh twitter it's at trgmh podcast you could email me at trgmh33 at gmail.com maybe i'll probably do that with the book giveaway probably if you just send me a email to trgmh33 uh just send me an email that you would like to uh win the book then you'll be entered and i'll just pick someone randomly probably do something like that but uh if you want to become a patron of the show anyway uh, i would really appreciate you can go to patreon.com forward slash trgmh become a patron uh we do special we have special patron curated episodes uh we do a lot of fun stuff on there so definitely check that out if you like listening to the show ira thanks once again this was great talking to you and uh we'll see you guys next week. thank you so much bye oh thanks ira all right have a good one you too